Uh, Eugene Peterson was a legendary pastor and writer and theologian, and he passed not too long ago. But not long before his passing, he was talking to an interviewer, and he told a story from a particular moment in his life as a pastor. And he talked about going to visit a woman in his congregation who was struggling with some loneliness, some other things. And they sat together and she was trying to describe the difficulty that she felt in life at that time. She said, my life feels limp. It lacks definition. And right there, I don't know about you, but especially during this COVID time, I've had some feelings of that. Like life feels kind of limp, like it's sort of collapsed, like it lacks definition. Some of it is that every day seems to feel like all the others and they're all blurring together. Some of it is that we've lost some of the experiences that differentiate one day from the next. Some of it is all the anxiety and trauma in the news and in the air. But when he said that this woman felt like her life was a little bit limp or lacking definition, I relate to that. And then she said to Peterson, uh, she was actually uh, sewing, doing some needlepoint while he was visiting her. And she held up uh, this hoop that she used. And she was doing needlepoint on the fabric that was stretched out over the hoop. And, and she said, I need something like this hoop, the way that this hoop stretches out this fabric and gives definition to it and allows me to create something beautiful on it. I need something that does that to my life, to my heart, something that stretches me into the fullness of my life and gives it some definition. And Peterson said, I think I have one for you. I have one of those hoops for your soul. And so he goes back to his office or back to his house. And the next time that he visits this woman, he comes back and he gives her a copy of the Psalms, of these ancient prayers that you and I have been praying this month. And he says, these prayers are something like that wooden hoop that stretches out the canvas or the fabric of your life and gives it definition and makes it again a place where we can create some beautiful things. And every time I think about that metaphor, it stirs in me because my experience in praying the Psalms has been quite like that. And maybe this month as we've prayed through some of these Psalms together, maybe that's been your experience too. We've prayed a prayer of praise and perhaps you could feel it stretching you into the things that are right and well-ordered in your life that you've taken for granted. Or perhaps you felt it drawing you down into the depth of our hope which runs deeper than the politics of the current moment. Uh, Ryan mentioned that that particular thread was there in the psalm, that our trust runs deeper than the powerful people that have this day. Uh, we prayed a prayer of lament. How long, Lord, how long will we face this difficulty? How long will it, it seem that you've turned your face away from us? And maybe as you prayed that prayer, you felt it stretching you in to the difficult parts of your experience that you've been avoiding or having a hard time naming, or maybe you felt it stretching you toward your neighbor who is suffering in some long and difficult way and because you prayed with them in solidarity, you were a little more connected to them and that too has sort of stretched out your life and made it taut and given it definition. Uh, Peterson also says prayers are tools, not for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. And that has certainly been the heart uh, behind the series that we're working through right now. I wanna take you into one more Psalm for this time of praying through the Psalms together. And I wanna explore with you briefly how this Psalm also might sort of stretch us into the fullness of our life and experience, might give some definition to our lives, might be a tool not for doing or getting, but for being and becoming and growing up into the fullness of who we are and what we're here for. So today's psalm is Psalm 30, and I want to just read it to you in its full length. 
And then we're going to hit just a couple of highlights in it together. Psalm 30 reads, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you, his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I'm silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Now, this psalm, Psalm 30, is what scholars often classify as a psalm of thanksgiving. And we've mentioned already that there are these three big movements in the psalms. There's praise that we've explored, which is the prayers that describe the experience where everything is sort of rightly ordered and we know our place within that order. And then there's prayers of lament, which seem to describe the, the experience of that right order being shattered and us being shattered and not be able, being able to find our way through that. And then on the other side of experiences of lament, the Psalms have prayers of thanksgiving. Now, yeah, we are trying to line this up with Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is coming up and maybe as you're watching this, you're like getting ready for a feast, hopefully a COVID safe uh, feast with friends or family. And so we have Thanksgiving coming up and one of the things that we often do at Thanksgiving is try to name our blessings. And that's really good. And there's lots of good reasons to do that. And there's lots of ways the Bible kind of calls out that disposition. Like when there are good things in your life, it's good to name them. But this Psalm of Thanksgiving, I want to observe that there's something more dynamic going on in this Psalm of Thanksgiving. This is more than just a static inventory of the good things in your life. So let me zero in on a little part of this Psalm. This is verses uh, six and following, where the prayer says, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I call to the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me, Lord. Be my help. And then the psalmist goes on to say, you turn my wailing into dancing. So like what I'm calling out here is that this prayer of thanksgiving isn't just a static inventory of good things in the writer's life, even though it's really good to do that. And I hope that you do that uh, around this Thanksgiving holiday that we're gonna celebrate together. This is more specific. This is thanksgiving for a way that God has brought this person through something. In fact, if you, if you were listening closely, you might have heard the way that that little passage I read, it actually speaks to all three movements that we're looking at. There's the orientation, there's the praise right out of the gate, which is, when I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. That's that orienting experience that, that draws out of us praise. Uh, Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm, but when you hid your face, I was dismayed. So then the psalmist describes going through an experience of shattering or disruption. And there's like a mini lament right there in the middle of this prayer of thanksgiving. And then we read that God turned the psalmist's wailing into dancing, and they find themselves on the other side of it, whatever it was that they were going through. 
This isn't just a static inventory of wonderful blessings. This is a narration about something that God has brought this person through. Now, one thing that's interesting about this is a lot of us hope or pray that faith would mean that God would protect us from things. I'm, I'm just not sure there's a lot of evidence for that. Because uh, I know people who pray a lot and who live really beautiful and righteous lives, and they go through a lot of terrifying and difficult things. Like, I don't think there's an exemption that we can track down to get us out of difficult things. But again and again, the Psalms remind us that the way out is through and, and not just grinning and bearing it, but facing and naming every part of our experience. And this Psalm of Thanksgiving, it's like the writer is wrapping their arms around the entirety of their experience, the before and the after. Like that wooden hoop, the Psalm is stretching the, the soul out so that it names the fullness of this person's experience, the before, the ugly middle, and the after. And as we pray Psalm 30 this week, what I wanna encourage you to do is to think about some of the befores and afters in your life. And as you think about some of the befores and afters in your life, in your history, in your story, like see what that does inside you. A lot of us, when we are in the messy middle, we have this uh, way of zooming in on the messy middle. When we, are, when we are praying prayers of lament, when things are not the way that they need to be, when we are not the way that we need to be, we have this, uh, this way of zooming in on that and fearing that this moment is going to be the verdict on us, that we're always going to be here, that we're always going to be like this, that things are always going to be like this. But in fact, if we can sort of get out of that tunnel vision and let these Psalms stretch us into the fullness of our experience, don't we know that there's all kinds of ways and all kinds of stories in our lives where we have been brought through from the before to the after? as you pray the psalm this week, I'm encouraging you to think about some of the befores and the afters in your life, about some of the ways that you have been brought through. Uh, I've been already thinking about this psalm and meditating on it, and there's two major ways in particular that I've been brought through in my life that have been on my mind lately. And I just wanted to briefly reflect on them with you in, in case they, hope they help open up in your life some of the ways that you've been brought through, some of the before and after. Uh, the first one is a mental health journey that I shared with our church before. That as I was coming out of high school, some memories of childhood trauma surfaced that were really, really scary and sort of debilitating for me. And I spent the next four and a half years sort of cycling deeper and deeper and deeper into a debilitating depression. And by the end of it, I, I literally couldn't function in life. Like I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't go to class, I couldn't, I couldn't pull myself through a day. And after four and a half years of that getting worse and worse and worse, the scariest feelings weren't what I was facing on any given day. The scariest feelings were the fear that every day of my future would be just like that and that there was no way out or through. Uh, some of this has been on my mind lately uh, because uh, another beloved member of our community that I've been in conversation with is going through one of those seasons right now. And um, I, I, I know when you are in that experience, the moment feels like everything and you zoom in on it, and you, feel, you fear that it's gonna be the verdict on your entire life. And as I've been sharing with this member of our community, this friend, some of my experience, I've been reminded over and over again that there was a massive before and after in my life. Now, I don't mean I've never been depressed since. I don't mean I've had perfect mental health since. But there is a, a qualitative difference 
between the life I had through that experience and the life I had when I found some, some healing on the other side. And I don't wanna forget that for my own sake because there are still bad mental health days and I need to remind myself that those are just moments. They are not the verdict on my entire story. And in, and in talking with this member of our community, I find myself remembering how important it is that we help one another remember that there are befores and afters in our lives. And the middle might last far longer than we want. And when we're in it, we may not see the way out, but we keep walking through because we know that there are befores and afters in our lives. Now, the other one, this might sound like a strange thing to be celebrating, or maybe you will totally get it, but it actually has to do with my housing. So I've joked sometimes in sermons before about a house that I bought when I was in college. It was a bad idea, gang. So first of all, it was 2005. Obviously, I had no way of knowing that we were headed for a recession and the property values were gonna sort of like just sit there. But I bought in 05. I bought it for zero money down, which apparently back then a whole bunch of us thought was a good idea, which is a terrible idea. So I buy it when I'm coming out of college, a bunch of my friends move in and I live there for the next, what, like 14 years. And the house gets worse and worse and worse. And in the last few years that I'm living in that house, there's broken windows and there's black mold in the basement that I got to deal with because of leaking that happened from this drain that wasn't working and carpet that I didn't know was soaked. And the roof is bad. And I find out in the upstairs bathroom that the floor joists are rotted around the toilet. And a couple of years ago, uh, when I was trying to like move on from this house, I was in that strange position, and maybe you've been there, where I couldn't afford to sell my house because I would take such a massive loss that I couldn't sustain it in terms of my cash. But I couldn't afford to stay in it. Like the thing was falling apart. It needed fixed up one way or another. So I like cashed in every dollar I could find. I sold some things that were kind of precious to me, but I just had to keep taking one step at a time and believing that this middle that I felt stuck in would not be the end of my story that there would be a before and after on this one too. Now, let me tell you where this before and after, like the, the recurring experience in my life right now that brings it back to mind. This might sound very strange. Uh, I like sleeping in a cool room and the place I live now, my bedroom's on the upper floor. And so sometimes in the evening before I go to bed, I'll open the windows on that floor to get a little bit of cool air in to bring the temperature down. And then when I go to bed, I'll close my window. Now, here's why this is so, uh, profound for me. When I, when I close my window in this building that I live in, it's uh, relatively recent construction and I have a unit in it. When I close the window, it's one of those windows that opens like a door and then shuts and you like turn the little crank, you know? When I close it, it sinks into its seal so tightly because, you know, and I have to like kind of push the crank to get it locked in. And you can just feel like the air tightness of the window, right? That seems like a good thing. That seems like a normal thing. But here's the thing. The house that I lived in for 14 years, my bedroom window was so old and bad that even though it was closed and it wasn't technically broken, I could feel the breeze in the winter in, in my room. I would lay in my bed and I, and, I, and I tried everything. I tried those like everything short of replacing the window until I did at the end. But I tried like those cellophane wrappers that you put on your window where you sort of tape the edges and you put the plastic up and you use a hairdryer to like shrink wrap it. I, I tried everything and nothing lasted for long. And I would lay in bed at night for several of those years and I would mount blanket after blanket after blanket on top of me because I could feel like the, the cold, cold breeze. And it happened to be the corner of house that took the brunt of the winter winds. And like, honestly, gang, like, I, like I'm not good with like house repair. And there were some moments where I thought, I'm never gonna get out of this house. I can't afford to move on. They're gonna bury me in this house that's gonna collapse around me. 
and it's going to be my financial ruin. And there was a long season there where I just didn't see a way out. And I just had to keep walking through. And just the other night, I was closing the window in my bedroom, and I heard that tight seal as it, as it closed. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I'm in a different place. Again and again and again, we get stuck in moments and despair sets in and we think this is the way things will always be. And we have to remember that we live in stories of before and after. And sometimes the messy middle lasts far longer than we want it to, but we do live in stories of before and after. And I wonder for you, as you pray Psalm 30 this week, if you'll wanna look back on your story and think about all the before and the after in your story. Maybe you went through a long period of economic hardship. Maybe you were buried in debt or maybe unemployment hit. Or maybe just some catastrophes hit your life and they cost a bunch of money and you couldn't afford them and you dug yourself into a hole that you didn't know if you would find your way out of. But if you look back and look to where you are now, you realize there's a before and after there. Or maybe it was a season of divorce and um, after maybe a long marriage and that marriage had been sort of a beautiful orienting experience in your life for a while, perhaps before things got bad. And then you see your marriage falling apart and you wonder about relational insecurity and isolation and what, how you're going to co-parent the kids with your former spouse. Uh, you, like, you wonder how you're going to provide for yourself. And there may have been a long, messy period there where the future looked terrifying and you didn't know if you would make your way through this. And now you realize that perhaps this isn't the life that you dreamed of or hoped of, but you're back on your feet today. And I wonder if you've ever actually given yourself the permission to sort of stretch out your recollection over that entire experience and realize that there was a before and after there. And I wondered if you've said thank you. Uh, we can go on and on, whether it's mental health or challenges in the workplace. You and I, we, we get sucked into these moments in the messy middle, and we forget that we, in fact, live in stories of before and after. And perhaps by remembering some of the befores and afters in your life, you'll find new strength to endure the messy middle that you're in right now. Now, for a moment, I want to take a step back. Uh, I want to interact with this prayer from a bit of critical distance. And the one reason I want to do this is it's a little bit tricky. Let me just call out. The psalm says things like, uh, Lord, when you favored me, I felt secure. And then when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Uh, Lord God, I called for you to help. Lord, uh, you brought me up from the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. But it also seems to suggest that it was God turning God's face that left you in the pit. And the critical interaction I want to have with this psalm for a moment is, just to be clear, I don't know where you're at on this. Like, I don't think that the bad things that happen to us are necessarily a sign that God has turned God's face from us. And I don't think the good things that happen to us are necessarily the sign that God has flipped a switch or pulled a lever or like decided that you're going to win the lottery today when somebody else doesn't. Uh, we could spend a long time wrestling with questions of what you call divine agency or sovereignty or providence and these are all different ways of talking about how we think about God and God's agency or actions in the world and our circumstances and the things that we hope for and ask for. So like, like when I pray like, oh man, when you favored me, God, things were good. And then you turned your face and things were bad for lots of reasons, almost entirely centered on Jesus and the picture of God that I see in Jesus and the things that Jesus teaches us. I don't necessarily believe that God is this kind of capricious, 
fickle being that turns towards us and against us and is sort of rooting for us and then rooting against us on different days of the week. But here's what I appreciate about that language in the psalm. And here's what I appreciate about the psalms in general. Uh, we live in an era that's sort of disenchanted. And what I mean by that is, at least for a little while in human history, we've lived in an environment in the world where it's actually, it's sort of natural to see many parts of our experience, many parts of our day, many spaces in the world as sort of secular or disconnected from God. But, 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 but I don't think that's true. Uh, we've talked often as a community about how in Genesis, the whole world is a temple, every inch of it, that there's no such thing as space that's not sacred. There might be desecrated space, space that's longing for redemption, but that's different than sort of secular or neutral space. And I don't believe any minute of your life, I don't believe anything that you've ever been through or seen or experienced has been some place in your history where God wasn't there. But I think the question is whether we are present to the presence of God in all things. Believing that God is present in all things, are we present to the presence of God in all things? Which is the way that we define holiness when we were teaching our way through Lent. And one of the things that the Psalms do for us is they have this sort of unapologetic feeling that everything that happens in our life is in relationship to God. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, that it all happens in a venue where God is present too, where God is a factor too. And when I pray prayers like Psalm 30, and I think about the before and after in my life, and I hear the Psalm inviting me to relate all of that to God, what, what I hear the Psalm doing is inviting me to be present to the presence of God in all things. And that brings with it a kind of depth and grounding and possibility of becoming that I have never found available without that view. And so as you pray through the prayer, maybe you bump into some of that difficult language and you have the same kinds of feelings. Like, like when you went through your divorce, was it because God turned God's face from you? I don't know, but it sure might've felt that way. And like, what a good thing to name that, to let this Psalm stretch you into the honest expression of what you were feeling in that moment. And as the Psalm stretches us into these honest expressions of what we are feeling in these moments, it might grow us up to be the kind of people who face the fullness of our journeys, the before and the after. In fact, uh, these, these three categories, praise, lament, and thanksgiving, the reason we've chosen a Psalm from each of these categories is because Walter Brueggemann, who I've mentioned before, he takes these categories, praise, lament, and thanksgiving, and he argues these aren't just static standalone categories sort of an inventory of Psalms sitting side by side, disconnected from one another. He says, this is what life is. It's this sort of constant cycle of praise and orientation, and then lament and disorientation, and then new ground and new orientation. And that new ground and new orientation, when you find yourself on a solid footing again, well, that becomes the orientation that will call out praise again. And then from that place, we're sort of set up for a new disruption, and we shouldn't resist or fear these movements in life. This is how life goes. And by the way, praise and lament and thanksgiving, this movement, this cycle of before and after in life, it's not just genres in the Psalms, and it's not just Brueggemann's categories of orientation and disorientation and new orientation. It is precisely the experience of death and resurrection. It's at the heart of the story of Jesus, that Jesus in his own body, in his own life, he goes from the orientation of the world that he inhabits to the utter devastation and shattering of his own crucifixion in the grave for three days, but that's not the end of his story. 
and he comes out on the other side, lifted up from the pit, to use the literal language from the psalm. So like you and I, uh, if we live in the fullness of these experiences and let the psalms help us pray our way into the fullness of these, we might find that the psalms are also helping us know and live the pattern of death and resurrection. So friends, uh, as you look back on your life and you take an inventory of the before and the afters that you have lived through, and perhaps as you pray the psalm and you allow it to help you narrate those experiences, may you know that these before and after stories, that these stories are telling us the truth. They're telling us the truth about ourselves, that we are in fact people in motion, and that even when we feel stuck, even when we are in the messy middle, even when we are afraid that we will be there forever, the fact is, we're not gonna be there forever. And may we know that these stories are telling us the truth about God. That God is the companion that keeps calling us forward, that responds when we cry out for help, and who, who is moving our lives into new spaces and new futures and new possibilities so that we will keep telling stories of before and after. This Thanksgiving, may you know the blessings that have sustained you in this season, and may you say thanks. And may you know the stories that you have lived through that can give you confidence today. And may grace and peace be with you.